Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the CEO Story. And boy, do we have a fantastic episode today. We have got Chad Goble, who is the founder and the CEO of the Goble Group. And they help philanthropic organizations connect with people and get more funds raised. So, uh, Chad, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. How are you doing? Good, Casey. Thanks for the opportunity. No problem at all. Can you share just a little bit more detail about what the Global Group does? And then we can get into kind of your history and your background. Yep. So we're a consulting firm. We focus on the healthcare industry. We work with hospitals and health systems around the world. And we help them build stronger philanthropic programs so that they can ultimately raise more money from their grateful patients, from their community and corporations and foundations that they have connections to. So we over, we've been in business for 10 years. We worked with about 800 hospitals across the, across the world. And we actively work with 150, 200 at any particular time. Wow, fantastic. Sounds like a really worthwhile uh, cause that you've, you've created there. But it wasn't always like that, was it? So let's kind of recap back <laughs> to kind of the earlier days. Uh, yeah. And we'll kind of work our way forward from that. So if you kind of get into... Uh, earlier on in your career where you were working as a special assistant, what was life like back then? Yeah, well, when I was in college, you know, I, di I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to college. But my dad said, look, you know, if you can read well and speak well, you can communicate effectively. That's really what you need. You'll figure everything out as you go along. And so I majored in English and uh, political science, communication, and I uh, got really involved in student government. I thought I was gonna go into politics. And so my first job out of college was working for a member of Congress. And Casey, I, it's funny, like I still remember my first interview, I went down to Capitol Hill and I sat with the chief of staff and he said, okay, Chad, he's like, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna have the most important job in the, in, in the office. You're gonna spend more time with a congressman than anybody else. And I thought, wow, how can this be? How can a 22 year old get the most important job right out of college? And, and I said, well, what's my title gonna be? And he said, well, you'll be special assistant. I thought, oh wow, special assistant, that sounds good. And then I said, well, what are you gonna, and I said, well, what's my job gonna be? And he said, well, you'll pick the congressman up in the morning, you'll drive him to work, you know, you'll run errands for him during the day, you can be with him in meetings and take notes, and then you'll, you know, take him home at night, you might stop at a few fundraisers. And I said, wait like I'm his driver and he said yeah and I'm like oh he said but no you're missing the point he said you know you're going to spend more time with him than anybody else you're going to get to see you're going to get to see what it's like to be a member of congress you're going to see things and hear things that no one else is going to get to experience and it actually turned out to be an incredible job I mean it was a grind it was 17 hours a day six days a week sometimes seven days a week but I have to say, like, I, I learned a tremendous amount. And I think the most important thing it taught me is that I did not want to be a member of Congress. <laughs> a lot of people have this notion that it's a walk in the park and it's very easy. But when you get that close and you see it day to day, it's actually a lot of effort goes into that, right? Uh, I mean, that, that job is, I mean, it has its, you know, it obviously has its, uh, bright spots and you, you know you're in a position where you can make a meaningful impact on people's lives but but I mean it, it is a grind it's it is a it is a hard job and you make a, a tremendous sacrifice with your family when you're in a role like that 
Yeah, absolutely. So then let's fast forward on after the year or so with the congressman. Um, then what happened in your career from that point onwards? Yeah, so after I left uh, his office after two years, I went to work for the University of Maryland. I worked for the president and I was his governmental affairs uh, director. So I, you know, I worked with local, state and federal government with elected officials and I helped push the university's interest, you know, through those constituencies. And, um, and I did that job for four years. And, you know, my boss, uh, Dr. Britt Kerwin, one of the smartest, nicest people I have ever experienced, been around. And he taught me so much. And, um, and that was such a great experience. But after four years, he left to become president of The Ohio State University. And so I just felt like, you know, in a position like that, where you're so close to the president, that the new president really needed their own person. So I transitioned from that job and I moved into a fundraising job where I still worked at the university, but I was responsible for raising money for the School of Public Affairs. So that was sort of my first entry into the world of philanthropy as a, as a professional. And um, so that was my kind of transition. It's often seen as a very hard role as well when you're constantly hitting up people to raise funds for different uh, organizations and events. And how did you kind of go about doing that? Well, you know, honestly, I never looked at it as like hitting people up. I looked at it as, especially in healthcare, where you, you know, when I, I worked at the Cleveland Clinic for a while, and, and I remember the CEO, Dr. Cosgrove, he came to a, one of our meetings and he said, you know, he's like, you're not a fundraiser. You're a part of a team that focuses every day on delivering exceptional experiences for patients and their families. And your role may be a little bit different than that of a heart surgeon, but you play an equally important role in delivering that client experience. And I always remember that. And so I feel like, you know, my job as a philanthropy professional was to engage with people who had experienced the school of public affairs or as a patient at the Cleveland Clinic and to give them an opportunity to express their gratitude and to do that through a charitable contribution. You know, we, we, all are, we all hopefully are grateful for our experiences and we all express that gratitude in different ways. And one of the ways that you can express that gratitude is through philanthropy. So I looked at my job as just really an opportunity to help people express their gratitude through this way. And then to show them how that gift was gonna have a significant positive impact on the, on the organization. So, you know, to me, it was never hard. It was just, uh, you know, there's, there's some awkwardness in the beginning if you're connecting with people that um, haven't, haven't expressed that gratitude overtly. So there's some, you know, there's some rejection that goes along in the initial part, but once you find someone that's grateful, then um, honestly, it's really, it's a joyful experience. Yeah, and, and especially like you said, I think you framed it really well where you've helped positively impact these people's lives. And now if they're in a position to be able to help someone else feel that same joy yeah. coming from a real place of gratitude and, and a warm feeling rather than uh, feeling the need to be obligated towards uh, contributing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's research that talks about the positive health benefits of philanthropy and giving back. How, you know, when you give back, it, it creates, a, you know, your own sense of gratitude and it 
it sort of infuses inside of you a sense of happiness and well-being, and that translates to just an overall uh, healthier perspective and uh, lifestyle. So, you know, there's lots of reasons why giving back and gratitude should be a part of everybody's life. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. A lot of what I do kind of in my morning routine is uh, have a journal literally right next to my bed, start the day off with gratitude and end every day with gratitude. And it doesn't have yeah. to be anything huge. It could be the smallest thing that you're grateful for, watching the sunrise or the sunset or kind of, you know, living a fulfilled life. And, you know, people often get caught up on being under grateful for, for everything that we have. So yeah. it's definitely a big part of it. So now let's fast forward into kind of you starting your own business from this point. You were working with other organizations, but now um, you've had the global group for what, over 10 years now, which is a fantastic achievement in itself. How did you come about starting it and then growing and scaling it? Yeah, well, I think this is one of the, gosh, how do you say it? This is one of the things that, you know, people, people don't realize you know, like they might look at my situation and think, you know, that I've done well, but they don't realize that up until this point, there were a lot of things that happened that I wouldn't necessarily be proud of. Like, so for example, when I was still, so when I worked at the Cleveland Clinic, I had the most amazing job. Um, and I was young. I mean, I was probably 30, I don't know, 35 or something. And, you know, I was, uh, I was in a very senior role. I was making really good money and doing well, traveling across the world, interacting with billionaires who had been patients of the clinic. I just had a great job. But my ego told me that I should be the number one. Like I was like, Chad, you know, like you're special. You should be number one somewhere. And so I got a call one day and they invited me to interview for, for the vice presidency at another institution. And, and so I went, I interviewed and, uh, you know, they ultimately offered me the job. It was, you know, twice the salary, you know, three times the number of staff. It was just, you know, it was a big time program. And so I didn't really do my full due diligence. I was sort of romanced by the money and the title and the opportunity. And I took that job. And honestly, that was the worst job in my life. And, and I suffered for three years and, uh, and I had two bosses and they didn't like each other. And so I was constantly in the middle of their own battle. And uh, I still remember it was the day after Christmas. And one of my bosses called me up and said, hey, we need to meet. And I'm like, it's the day after Christmas. He's like, I know we need to meet. So I met him and he said, Chad, you know, you've done a great job. We're raising more money than we did before. But I just don't feel like you're a part of my team. I don't feel like, you know, that you're really loyal to me. And so, you know, today's your last day. And, uh, you know, and I said, okay, well, you know, if that's your decision, that's your decision. It's probably a good thing that I have a severance and you're going to pay me for the next year. But, you know, that's, that's uh, the way these things work out. And so, I, I, honestly, Casey, I was happy to have left that opportunity. But, but it was that opportunity that then motivated me to say, okay, what do I want? Do I want to go work somewhere else and trade one set of problems for another? Or do I want to take control of my life and my destiny? And, and that's what motivated me to start a company. Like I felt like 
I felt like I could do something. I could do it as well as better than other people. I had the, fortunately, I had the financial security that I knew like that I had a, you know, a number of months to give it a chance. And so I just went all in. And I remember that day when I went back to my home, I called my friend and I told him what was going on. And he said, all right, Chad, he's like, on Monday, I want you to meet me at this address. And I'm like, Danny, what's the address? He's like, nope, just meet me at this address. So Monday morning, you know, I'd just been fired. Monday morning, I show up at this office. It's this, it's this high rise office building. I walk in and he's there with another guy. I walk in, he walks up to me, he puts his arm around me and he said, Chad, I want you to meet Alan. I'm like, hi, Alan. He's like, Alan's the building manager. I'm like, okay, Alan, nice to meet you. He was like, you need an office. I'm like, Danny, what are you talking about? He's like, you're going to start your company. You need an office. I'm like feeling embarrassed because I don't have any money to pay for an office. I don't have any employees. I don't have, I don't have anything. But he's like, Chad, I just know you're going to be successful and you need an office. You need to get up every day. You need to go to your office. I'm like, okay. So we walk around the building. He shows me this one office. He's like, this is perfect for you. It was Casey. It was like 1500 square feet. It was like six offices. I walk in the office. I'm like, Danny, it's beautiful. It's like overlooking the canal. I'm like, but Danny, it's just me. He's like, don't, don't worry, Chad, you're going to grow into it. And then I feel embarrassed. I'm like, Danny, I can't pay you. He was like, I didn't ask you to pay me. I'm like, Danny, I don't have any furniture. Alan, don't we have a floor with, you know, furniture that other people have left? So we go up and basically that day I left with a beautiful office, completely furnished and not having to pay anything. So this is a long way of saying that things happen in your life and you may feel at that moment that it's the worst thing that happened to you. And in reality, it turns out to be the best thing that happens to you. And so for me, worst thing that happened was I got fired. The best thing that happened is I called my friend. He believed in me. He kind of gave me a, a chance and I had a chance to move into an office that was great. And, you know, Monday morning, I'm now in my office and things are great. And, uh, and I said, Danny, one day I'm going to pay you back. He was like, don't worry. I know you will. And Casey, it was like three months later that I picked up like my 10th client. I was making as much money as I had in my last job. And, and I called Danny up and I said, okay, what's the rent? And he said, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm ready to start paying my rent. So, you know, I think I had an office with him for four or five years, never once had a contract, a lease agreement, nothing. And I'm just, I'm so lucky that I feel like the success that we enjoy today, in large part, it's because of those people at the very beginning that believed in you and helped you when you couldn't do anything for them, but they just wanted to help you. And uh, so it's like, it's that gratitude that I have for them that got me started and, you know, what we've done since then. And, you know, that's a beautiful story. It resonates so much with me because I had so many similar things in my career in terms of critical people in order to mm -hmm. one move from England to America, get a work permit, yeah. get a green card. Like these are all one in multiple million chances of this even happening, right? So yeah, I can definitely think back to some of those times and stories. And 
I had a similar thing to the one that you mentioned where you got let go and I'd switched out of corporate America and started my own company. I'd gotten a client or two, but then a big client comes in and then it didn't work out with that client. And I was like heartbroken and (laughs) the best thing that ever happened because that client wasn't really a good fit for me. And they didn't really, they weren't really ready to pay four hour services or they didn't really have their ducks in a row. They weren't ready. But at the time, it was so painful going through that. I'm like, I've left this big corporate job, taking this risk, backed myself. And yeah. just at the right at the offset, it was going really well. And then boom. But it turns out to be really good because you learn and you grow and you attract that good, the good like karma, let's call it, if we have to put a word on it. And it comes yeah. back around, right? Yeah. And I just, I feel like, and I don't know if you you find this with, other entrepreneurs that you've um, interacted with, but I just feel like, you know, I don't, I don't always know how things are going to work out, but, but I know they're going to work out. And, and I, I just, even when things are really rough and there've been lots of moments over the last 10 years that are really rough. I don't know. I just, I just have this blind faith that I'm going to figure it out. And, you know, it may not be, may not be clean and pretty, but, but I'm going to find a way to work through whatever it is that comes. And, and in the end, we're going to be fine. Like we're going to continue to move forward. And, you know, we celebrated our 10 year anniversary this year on January 11th. And uh, on that day, I actually reached out to Danny, the guy that, you know, got me the first office. And I just said, you know, on this day, 10 years ago, um, I walked into your building and you gave me a chance and you set me up with the office and, and, uh, and I haven't talked to him in probably a year or two. And I just said, I just want you to know, like on this day, I'm thinking of you and I'm so grateful, right. That you helped me get to where I'm at today. And, and I think, you know, like with your story, I just feel like when you're in this entrepreneurial role and you're getting started, you got to, like you, you can't be afraid to ask people for help. You're going to need help. And, uh, and, and generally, you know, people want to help you. Like people want other people. I feel like, you know, the good people, they want you to be successful and they want to help you. And, you know, you got to be willing to ask for that. Yeah. I think uh, it's a very, very common trend that I, you know, I speak with a lot of successful entrepreneurs, CEOs, um, and every one of them is very optimistic. The glass is always half full. We can figure it out. We just have to have the drive and the will to move forward, even if that's a small incremental step every single day. And uh, you'll get that success. And people often paralyze themselves with focusing on the how. And Mm -hmm. Tony Robbins talks about this a lot. It's like there's three main sections. is the the what, the where, and the how. And Mm -hmm. people focus so much on that how that it paralyzes them from taking any type of action whatsoever Mm -hmm. and you could have been paralyzed and stayed at home and not went to that meeting on Monday and never even known that you could have had a free office for a few months and grown into a multi-million dollar company now yeah but you were ready to take action have a leap of faith trust in your friend and look where you know the starting the starting steps of what came after that so I think the key to everything in life is all about taking action because whether you're failing faster or whether you're getting one step closer, it's all, it's all down to your interpretation of it. The only way you really lose 
is if you stop and if you give yeah. up, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like what you said in the beginning when you talked about, you know, people look at the glass half empty or full. And, and it's also how you, how you look at life, right? So you can look at life and you can take any experience and you can either be grateful for the experience or you can be, you know, uh, paralyzed by the experience. I think, isn't it Tony Robbins that says, like, you can look at life and say, this is what this person did to me, or you can look at life and say, this is what this person did for me, right? Absolutely. So you basically, like, that's the same thing in, in business. You, you can look at a situation and you could say, all right, I'm going to be paralyzed by this. Or, you know what, I'm going to just dig in and figure it out. And I don't know what tomorrow is going to be, but, but tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to figure it out. It's like, too, I was listening to something that Oprah Winfrey said and something, it was something like, you know, dealing with crisis. And she said, like, basically all you can do is make the best decision for the, with what the information you have at that moment. You can't make the next five decisions. You can just make the next best decision with what you know at that moment. And I feel like, like in business, when you, get, when you get into a bad situation, instead of like focusing on how bad things could be in the future, just make the next best decision uh, with what you have. And then you, from there, you go from there and, and you, you know, you'll find your way through it. Yeah, and it's incremental, right? If you chunk down, the size of the problem into smaller steps, you can manage those small bite-sized steps. But if you look at the whole problem as a huge thing that you can't get over, like I think a good analogy is Everest, right? You don't climb Everest by looking, oh my goodness, it's Everest. You, you do it by putting one foot in front of the other over and over again. And I yeah. think I really like that analogy because uh, it's a big one, right? And it's yeah. all about action. And like you said, steps. So Chad, I'd like to end with this one question that I ask everyone. And that is, if you had to put your success down to three factors and a portion between them, how would you apportion that between drive, skill, and luck? Hmm. Well, you know, I don't really believe in luck. Um, I believe, you know, you create your opportunities. So if it's really between drive and skill, uh, hmm. I probably put 60% drive, 40% skill. Um, I think skill is important, but a lot of times, you know, it's about showing up and being prepared. You know, we have, uh, you know, we're managing 200 client engagements right now. And um, we have about 30 people in the company. And I tell our consultants all the time that, you know, there's two things that you've got to focus on in your work. One is the work, you know, you've got to deliver a good product and a good service to the client so that they see that and they benefit from, from their work with us. But you also have to nurture the relationship. And, and at the end of our contract, you know, there could be four things that could happen. They could have had a bad experience. The product could have not worked and they didn't appreciate working with you. In that case, we're not, there's, there's not gonna be a renewal of the contract. The product could work and they could have not enjoyed working with you and they're not gonna work with us. The product could not have worked, but if they enjoyed working with you and they believe in you, then they will renew. Or if the product worked and they enjoyed working with you, then they're gonna renew and they're gonna be a raving fan and they're gonna refer us. So, relationship 
along with skill, both are important, but sometimes the relationship or the drive is actually even more important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's fantastic. So Chad, if people want to get in touch with you or reach out to the group, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, our, our website is uh, globalgroup.com, G-O-B-E-L group.com. So you can get us through our website uh, and my email is chat at globalgroup.com. And we'll put the links to those below so people can reach out to you uh, more efficiently. Chad, thank you so much for sharing with us. It's been absolutely epic. Thank you so much. Thanks, Casey. All right, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.